Okay, welcome to the podcast. It is Wednesday, September 15th, the day after a sparsely attended primary election day. Like, this is 11,000 people, uh, about 8% of people eligible to vote voted in the Toledo election yesterday, which we'll, I'll get to shortly. Also, she finally made the right decision. Someone else within the city's purview did not make a good decision. And um, a Facebook post of mine that nobody saw, which I completely could have predicted. I, I appreciate you engaging with my Facebook posts. I never say things to provoke anything. Um, I feel like I should post every day, every morning, so you see something when you wake up. Um, in that sense, I, I plan it out. So if I if I do have a thought, I try to save it for the morning, sleep on it, polish it up. But I never want to throw something out to be inauthentic. And I shouldn't have to tell you that I pride myself on authenticity. You should just naturally see that. But the, yeah, nobody nobody saw this post. A couple of uh, a couple of quick things before we get to the uh, things I teased here. Grumpy's is growing. Um, I know they went out to Sylvania. Grumpy's on the Grow has been doing really well. In fact, um, right before I moved here, Grumpy's was my very first meal in Toledo, the second time around, when I met my friend Nathan, um, who was overseeing Clear Channel, Toledo at the time. Um, we grabbed lunch at at Grumpy's and without knowing that it was the go-to I got the garbage salad that salad if you're looking to watch your weight count macros or anything like that it is not a salad in the spirit of salads but it is absolutely delicious and addictive just know that it's probably mm, I get the I bet you it's close to two thousand a day's worth of calories but still delicious they opened in BG over the weekend and um I guess they were packed. I haven't been to the Sylvania. Lo- oh, actually, I did pass the Sylvania location when they did their art thing over the summer. Um, but I love hearing this from the woman who bought um, Casey Mulvaney Pollock, who bought them last year. She wants to continue to expand in Northwest Ohio so that people can get to their favorite grumpy spot within a 10 to 15 minute drive. I like that. I like that a lot. Also a restaurant. I've only been a couple of times, but I know how good it is. And when I, when I call it a greasy spoon, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Um, but I guess the Green Lantern went a little viral over the weekend because on 9-11, um, somebody left a note on a napkin. Lost my best friend in New York City 20 years ago today. He loved this place so much. You guys and the food are the best. Be safe. God bless. $10 bill, $120 tip. It's not $1,000, but that's what, like a 1,000%? 100%? No, it's like a 1,000% tip. I'm very bad with math, especially quickly. Um, and I guess the owner of Green Lantern, Amy Tamboratsis, did I get that right? That's probably not close, Amy. Um, they were trying to figure out who the Patrick was who, uh, who did that, trying to figure out who the customer was. But a very cool story on obviously an extremely important day. And it's, if you're a local place and you see that you fit into, oftentimes narrative is used in a derogatory way as well. But it is kind of neat that if you're able to fit into the narrative of something that happened to 9-11 in a positive way for somebody to evoke a positive memory or 
a sad memory, but still a positive person and a positive feeling to think about that person that's gone. That's kind of neat. So a very cool thing there. All right, so we do have a guest, by the way. My friend Liz, uh, Elizabeth Lotta. I don't know if I can tell you where she works. I'll let her throw that out there. But she is part of a play, a musical, sorry. Just like a couple weeks ago, we had Kyle on from the Stage Door podcast. You know that musical, musicals, theater, and the performing arts are not my thing. It's the thing that I will misspeak the most on. Um, but Liz is one of my three friends, Liz, Jared the Skin God, and Cornel and Neil Powell, my friend who just got promoted to a very cool new art project at the Thomas M. Wernert Center, are all performing in Something's Rotten. I misspoke on the air and said it was at the Croswell. It will be eventually, soon, but first, it's at the Rep. So Liz will be on shortly. First, you know, I'm a, I'm a champion of Toledo. I like to tout what's going on here. I like to think three or four years ago, I started the chorus of, you can't say there's nothing to do here anymore. Um, And now that doesn't get get said a lot anymore. I'm just waiting for my Blade News Slide app to open. But I also, again, back to authenticity, want to be completely candid, forthcoming, and as honest as I possibly can be. And I'm disappointed in something that I read. Um, you know, I've thrown my support with a little skepticism, an appropriate amount of skepticism behind the uh, violence interrupter program and uh, Juwan Armour being that guy. They brought him some interrupters on board in August. And uh, one guy's name, Isaac Miles, he's 32, one of the three people hired by the mayor's administration. Um, let's see. Reacted to comments appended to a Blade story posted online Monday asking them, what are you guys doing to slow down gun violence? To one group of commenters last week, Mr. Miles said, we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Now mind your business. Um, the, I guess there was another comment or so in there. And this, this disappoints me. Um, I know that, and I don't know the... In, the comprehensive background or resumes of Isaac and the other people that were hired. But I know the goal was to not be so discerning. Um, if somebody had some, some black, some black marks on their record, some, some warts, um, that's okay. Cause you know what? If they came from gangs, if they've have a criminal background in some ways, that's okay. That might, that's, that could, if they've turned things around and left that in the past, it's very likely that's a great way for them to talk to the people in these communities that are so afflicted with the gun violence. Um, so I wasn't opposed to that at all. What I'm disappointed in is somebody probably within the mayor's administration or Jawan himself, um, should have said, stay off, stay off socials for a couple of reasons. One, we all have posted comments that we regretted. We've all engaged in threads that have made us feel pretty ill afterwards. I think I've done a good job curbing that. I now just do my very best to walk away and I'm 10 years older than Isaac. So I should be quicker to walk away from these things. Um, but somebody in some kind of leadership or management said, you're in a very important position uh, and, and potentially a dangerous and lethal position. So please be wary, if not just completely shut down your socials because you can get into some trouble. 
Um, with people who are already doubting the program, which the mayor's administration in Juwan knew about this um, from the public and I guess some of the police unions. But the other thing, the other aspect of that is, you know, ca- causing trouble where you don't need to be commenting to idiots on, on Facebook because there's two, there's an infinite amount of those and no good come can come from it being a violence interrupter. Like, you're, we're not going to change anybody's mind. We know that. But worse so... Um, you might want to delete your socials simply to remove any of your digital footprint because remember, you are you're going into some dangerous neighborhoods. And it's pretty easy to find people on social, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. And if I'm one of these three people and I've got a family, I need to know that they could be put potentially in danger in the line of fire by some of what I'm doing and who I'm interacting with in these communities. And I'm just going to leave that at that because I don't know these communities that well. And I know how challenging this job can be. But engaging with idiots on social is when you're in a position to do good. I remember saying... I do know that. And I remember saying, God, as, as far back as like 2008, 2009, when there was an older sports writer I was trying to help out, I was like, these commenters, they live in the sewers and they bring you down to their level. And guess what? They're already dirty. And when you're slinging comments back at them, they've brought you into the sewer and they dirty you. Um, I am quite delighted that Brittany has done what I just suggested those three should do. Um, Brittany shut down her Instagram, which, you know, if you listen to the podcast, Alex and I and others have thought was a good idea for, for quite some time because she was doing her, she was doing herself, hashtag free Brittany and anybody that supported that a major disservice because anybody who is trying to give Brittany any benefit of the doubt to give her whatever level of her life she wants back, um, could look at her Instagram and kind of cringe and, I, I this is not a person who seems to have it all together. This is not a person with optimal mental health. Um, I wish somebody in her circle would have you'd have heard me say this. I wish somebody in her circle would have taken away her Instagram and socials a long time ago. She got engaged the other day. Good for her. Um, and maybe that was the catalyst, the impetus behind her shutting down her Instagram. And Alex did tell me that I guess she put her ass in a thong on there one last post before she went away. Maybe that was the straw that broke some some camel's back, and somebody's like, "Brittany, look, if if you want this, like, you can't do this. Like, that doesn't show any court or court of public opinion that you deserve what you're looking for." So I'm glad she shut that down. We we would all be better off. Our mental health would all be better off with less social media posting and interactions. Um, one more thing, and then we'll bring in Liz here. I saw that um, someone that I was extremely loosely connected to, a very distant colleague, um, when I was doing sports radio in Detroit, uh, his name is Tom Lydon. He was working at the ABC affiliate up in Detroit. He was a sports director there um, for a time. So, like, he would just know who I was when I tweeted something. Like I said, very distant colleagues. The interesting thing was, though, he also worked back in the Lehigh Valley and in Allentown when at some point when I was there. So that made me keep a, a closer eye on him. And well, I saw he got fired. Um, he had moved to a, a job in Boston five, six, seven years ago. Boston is a, it might be the most enthusiastic, enthusiastic 
an aggravating sports town for for everybody really in the entire country. Like it can be ruthless, more so than New York and Philadelphia. Um and definitely Detroit. So Tom lost his job and I was looking around as to why the hell that happened. So let me read some of this. And this just we've talked about this and around this with the blade a little bit. So WFXT uh, in Boston laid off more than two more than a dozen new staffers, canceled several several weekly newscasts, replaced the GM in early September. Um, private equity firm Apollo Global Management in February of two years ago bought a majority stake in several stations owned and operated by Cox Media, including that Boston station. Uh, people familiar with the recent events at the station said Apollo had been unwilling to invest in the station in recent years. One source, who asked not to be named, estimated that 50% of the station's staff had turned over in the past two years. Then, sources pointed to a cyber attack in June, which was reported by CNN, but never disclosed by Cox as a possible reason for the cuts. Sources said the attack reportedly cost the company millions of dollars. Okay, so private equity, we'll come back to that, but we'll start with the, uh, the... Probably some kind of ransomware attack, which actually I had heard about because my friend works in that company. And he did tell me that it was never publicized. The skeptic in me will throw out the conspiracy theory that maybe they didn't have all their defenses up. Maybe this kind of was allowed to happen knowing that they'd have to pay a lot of money, which would allow them to cut staff, which is what so much in legacy media is often doing. Somebody who I spoke to last week said, how's your job? I'm like, you know, it's day-to-day. Like, we're all day-to-day, but my job in my industry is literally day-to-day. Um, private equity. I'm, I've am i told you before, I'm, I have macroeconomic ideas, but microeconomic, but a microeconomic brain. Private equity. Become very popular over the last 15 years. Uh, they buy down on their luck businesses. Um, They bail those businesses and the owners out and the owners get a golden parachute. And what's left is these private equity companies getting rid of employees because what they want to do is they want to turn these businesses into some kind of profitable company for them. So the previous owners who are in debt, like in the radio world, um, Bain bought Clear Channel in 2007 or eight because Clear Channel bought a bunch of radio stations. All the radio companies, the big radio companies did. And then the stations lost value. So private equity places like Bain came in and provided a financial parachute. But what was left was people like me and others who I saw let go because the private equity wanted to make sure that they could make a profit for their investment. And to make a profit, one of the most important things that you have or most expensive things you have is people. So you cut the jobs. And then you cut the jobs, and then the product begins to suffer. So um, I've lived that world for my entire life. So I can relate and sympathize in a lot of ways, but not in every way, with the labor revolution and people demanding to earn what they deserve. I feel a lot of that. But again, having been made very cynical over the last 15 years, knowing that we are all very replaceable... um, I have the thoughts there. But what irks me the most is this is a news entity. Um, Private equity buys everything. Private equity 
will buy anything that it believes it can make a profit on. It, it, is, it is ruthless profiteering. It is you and me and other people who are middle-class Americans for the most part, who may, may or may not have finally made it in a, a decent living, but they're a, they're a number on a spreadsheet. And if, they, and if their number is too big and they are in the way of some profit, gone. Well, pr- the way it works is, so let's say somebody makes $75,000. Um, that's a lot of money for what they want to pay. So they'll uh, they'll bump somebody up who's making forty thousand to that position and give them fifty five. So they're saving twenty and giving somebody else a nice raise. That's that's very that's the crude way of, of how it works. And if I'm wrong with this, please send me the uh, send me the the solutions and uh, how I'm wrong. But really, I've lived this life. And that's fine when you're doing that for restaurants and bars or whatever, whatever you're buying. Sports teams, which they are run like ruthless businesses. Uh, most owners, they'd love a championship and a winning team, but they'd rather make money. They Nobody opens a business to lose money. I try to remind people of that all the time. Private equity takes that to the millionth degree, the infinity degree. But when private equity buys things that can that are in the public sphere and influence facts, news, God, we have a fucking problem. And that's why we're in this Facebook mess. Um, so private equity turned that place and many other legacy news structures, newspapers, um, same thing happened there. A lot of newspapers got bought by private equity and they weren't making a profit. So they kind of turned into tabloid type things. They, instead of going for boring, but accurate, unflappable facts, which really don't make a lot of money, it became loud bombast and sensationalism and controversy and loudness and whatever else, because that sells, that makes money. And so much of the normal media across everywhere has had to fall prey to that. That's why CNN and even Fox News have become so extreme with their entertainment and loudness rather than the boring nature. And I'd say accuracy and unflappable news of Axios and, and, and NPR. And I know they have slants, but they're not out there to get attention and be loud. They're there to deliver as best as they can unbiased facts. But that doesn't make money for these private equity places. And now that these private equity places um, run radio, uh, uh, run TV stations, run things that show, that we expect to be delivering accurate facts and news without bias, but they have to make money, it's changed what we call and view as news. And that's why we are where we are. And that's how we had the last president and how times will continue to be tumultuous and controversial and contentious and always living at a fever pitch because we live in a world where loud is what gets the most likes, clicks, and dollars. There was something a couple weeks ago, Usher and somebody else is going to be on a reality show where... It's like a nonprofit version of Shark Tank, and some uh, whoever, whosever idea, whosever community idea gets, and I'm paraphrasing this, whoever, whosever nonprofit community idea gets the most social engagement gets the money. Well, the outcome is great, but to go, and I realize that you got to have that social currency to be relevant today. 
But to get that social currency, sometimes really good things, good news, positive stories are overlooked for the loud controversial ones or who can get the most attention. And like I've said for the 50th time now, the most attention often goes to the loudest, most controversial things. So the outcome of that show is great. The means is murky and kind of icky to me. So hopefully that makes some sense. You have questions. You know how to get in touch with me. Let's talk to Liz about something's rotten at the Toledo Rep. How's it going? It's going extremely well. And uh, I've got to say, I'm so happy that you've... Uh, we were on a cold streak of people being able to connect as you have lately. Oh, I got to turn my Facebook off. But uh, yeah, you're perfect. They got no echoes, no feedback. Sounds great. Oh, good. Where are good. you? I am working from home today, so oh. I'm at home. Are we? Uh, are we allowed to say where you work? Or are we leaving that out? I mean, it's probably fine. I'm just. I don't know. Since I'm not. We'll leave it promote- out. We're, okay. We're, we'll leave it out because I know that you've had to ask permission before, and actually. Yeah. Um, even if it's okay, even if it's like a good thing and you're not there to like slam anybody or with like controversial opinions. Um, I got slapped on the wrist last week because did you see my WTOL story? Uh Uh-huh. Um, my boss included in the monthly newsletter, uh, we, before we talk to the media, we have to ask permission. And I was like, oh, is that about me? And she's like, yes and no. She's like, I obviously would have approved that, but like, just remember. So... I don't want you to get in trouble. Yeah, that that's fair. <laughs> um, so Liz is here to talk all about something I know nothing about, and you know that well. <laughs> You're going to fill in all the spots. Something's rotten with you and two of my other friends coming to the Toledo Rep, which I misspoke about on the air on Monday because um, I thought it was the Croswell one. And it is Something's Rotten is at the Croswell but later on in the fall, whereas something's rotten is at the rep this weekend. Yes, that's correct. And actually, I am going to correct you on one little thing. It's okay. something rotten, not something's rotten. Got it. Okay. And and why? What? what what's rotten? Because the you did listen to the Stage Door podcast guy Kyle, and uh, he mm-hmm. brought to my attention that there is a. Uh, it's about STDs. <laughs> No. Um, okay, so the quote is actually kind of taken from Hamlet, uh, something ro- Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Yeah. Um, you know, the quote that everybody knows from Hamlet. Um, and it's about two brothers in the Renaissance, Nick and Nigel Bottom, and they're playwrights, but they haven't be able, been able to come up with their own hit story. Uh, Shakespeare is their rival. The one brother hates Shakespeare. There's a whole song called God, I Hate Shakespeare. Um, there's a, the other brother who kind of idolizes Shakespeare. But Nick, the one who hates Shakespeare, decides that he wants to see what the future in theater will be. So he goes to a soothsayer. And the soothsayer, uh, Nostradamus, but not the Nostradamus. His name is Thomas Nostradamus, the nephew of Nostradamus. Um, and Nostradamus says that in the future, people will like musicals. Um, but unfortunately, later in the show, Nick wants to find out more, like what's Shakespeare's big hit going to be? What is it? And it gets a little twisted 
and there are lots of Hamlet quotes, uh, but the brothers do try to write a musical about the plague, which that's kind of about yeah, STDs, mm. but things that happen when you get the plague. Got it. Okay. Okay. I got it now. <laughs> it sounds like it's very, it, this is the, this is my problem with musicals and like, they all sound like great, but then the singing happens and not that it's not wonderfully <laughs> like talent. There's so much talent on display. Like it goes over my head because that sounds like something that's really interesting. Like Tom Nostradamus sounds very fascinating. And when you said um, they're rivals of Shakespeare, I'm like, oh, so this is like a what, like a 16th century East Coast, West Coast uh, playwright battle. I like that. Oh, there's not a rap battle, but there's a tap battle in Act One uh, between Shakespeare and one of the brothers. So, you know, it's clever. Um. I uh, I like Shakespeare stuff. Oh, well, I like the idea of it. I had, I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, I had Shakespeare rammed down my throat. Uh-huh. And um, I'm familiar, it's interesting to talk about like the STD stuff. And so I had a, an English teacher who just sadly recently passed away, Mr. Yaghubian, um, called Mr. Y. And this was uh, like my advanced or mentally gifted English class or literature that he was teaching. And he did not treat us like, you know, ninth graders. He treated us like college students. And he talked all about like the sexuality and I guess the, um, uh, all the other ickiness that happened in, in Shakespearean plays. And like, it was some like Ophelia. Mm -hmm. She had some things, right? Oh Yeah. Oh, Ophelia. Um, and and then wait, so hold on. It was the ki- the king died, and then mm-hmm. who slept with whose mom? Well, have you seen the Lion King? Because the Lion King ripped off Hamlet. It's the uncle Scar. Right. right um, okay. And all of, yeah, and the thing with something rotten, all of this, like all, all the Hamlet references, and then some other uh, references. Like there's one, the Falstaff uh, from the Merry Wives of Windsor. Uh, Romeo and Juliet's mentioned a couple different times. Um, so the show, it references musicals of the last 50 years, but it also references a lot of Shakespearean um, plays, which is cool. Did the Shakespeare aspect of this appeal to you? Is that why you wanted to be in it? Oh, I saw the show um, in Cleveland. When the national tour was in Cleveland, um, I went to go see it, and... I had heard a couple of the songs before, but it's hilarious. I was hooked. It's not like there's a lot for women to do in this show, but it's really fun to just, you know, run around in the giant Renaissance skirts and the costumes. And um, I did do some Shakespeare in high school, either in classes or um, I was in drama my senior year of high school and i was in 12th night which is a shakespearean comedy and i loved it uh we had to read 12th night mr wise class as well and look i got the loose concepts of the popular ones romeo and juliet but 12th night way over my head didn't get it (laughs) just couldn't get it could not get it at all oh it's a fun one and uh she's the man was based off of that so the thing about Shakespeare is it's kind of timeless, like West Side Story that's based off of Romeo and Juliet, yeah. that's yep. getting remade. Um, it's coming out in December with uh, the Spielberg adaption yep. or adaptation. Um, but with Something Rotten, 
it kind of appeals to, I think, a lot of people. It came out six years ago. So right six, I can do math, six, seven years ago, like right before Hamilton. So I think some of it got a little buried. Right. Uh, just because, you know, Hamilton came out the next year. Um, but it's funny. It's a really funny show. If you like musicals, which I know you don't, or mm. if you like Shakespeare, or if you just like comedy, it's a really funny show. Um, there have been so many times in rehearsal where we're just laughing, like backstage watching the show, because even though we've heard this dialogue on countless nights at this point, we're still laughing about it. It's a really well-written show. Um, what's your role? What, what, what do you play? Oh, I'm in the ensemble, so I'm a bit of everything. Um, I'm a Renaissance woman. I show up in kind of a dream, actually two dream sequences. Um, I'm a Puritan, um, and I'm a Shakespeare groupie. Oh, okay. Um, also possible STD reference there, but <laughs> you're just playing a role. Just um, a role. Uh, did, did you see Shang-Chi? Uh, Shang-Chi, yeah. yeah. Um, those those monkeys, they were just acting on those horses. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part in the whole movie. Um, Planet what, of the Apes. What, yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad they brought uh, Ben Kingsley back. And, oh, he's and so good. They, they absolutely made like chicken salad out of chicken shit uh, uh, from the original Iron Man 3 in his role. But um, so two of my other friends are are in this. Uh, Jared and and Neil. Who are they playing? Well, Neil's in the ensemble with me, okay. uh, and he is hilarious. Um, there are scenes that I'm not in, but he's in, and I love watching Neil. He's just fantastic. Yeah. Um, and then Jared is Shakespeare. Oh, is he kind of? Who is, is that? Like the co-star? Like who's the highest profile characters in in the musical? Uh, so Nick and Nigel Bottom, okay. um, probably uh, they have the most to do, uh, but then Shakespeare's probably the number three person, um, at least when you're looking at the bows at the end of the night. Um, Jared, Jared's great. I've worked with him once before, and he's phenomenal. Um, what, how, does, how does Jared, or how is it, How's the role constructed for Shakespeare to be portrayed? Like, what kind of... I'm guessing he's the villain. Is that obviously the antagonist? A villain? Like, how does he play it? Um, I would say, yeah, he's antagonistic. Um, the Puritans are probably a little more antagonistic just due to the Puritans hating uh, music, art, and theater. Um, but Shakespeare definitely, you know, it's it's Shakespeare. He's trying to steal other people's work. He loves being on top. Uh, he he's just he loves the fame and fortune and everything go, that goes with it. Um, but there's a song at the opening of Act Two where Jared and or Shakespeare kind of loses it a little, just because it's hard to be the bard, and he hates writing. Okay, that that plays into like these. Old wives' tales, legends, with fairy, whatever you want to call them. Aren't there rumors or skepticism that Shakespeare didn't write his own stuff? Or mm -hmm. there, there was actually no, there's all these things. Can you sh share some of them with me so I don't get them wrong? Well, I'm trying to remember the one, and it's, I'm blanking on which one of the authors, and he's in the show, and I can't think, I mean, it's a throwaway line, I cannot think of which. But there are several of Shakespeare's plays 
where it's rumored that either he didn't write it or he ripped it off from somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the last one that was published, uh, the Henry VIII play, there are rumors that he didn't write it at all, um, just due to its it being the last one and the different style. Um, Is, I think Thomas there's also a, a wild story out there, like there was no Shakespeare, and I, uh, maybe part of that was the entity of Shakespeare was a collection of people. Like, it's wild stuff. And you think we have, like, some decent history on things that happened far before that. And we can't lock this down. Or maybe these things have just taken on a life of their own over the years. But the, all of Shakespeare is, is, while I don't understand much of the plays, he himself, or whatever it is, is very fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they didn't let women perform in Shakespearean plays, right? No, and that's something um, that also comes up in the show. Uh, Nick Bottom, um, the lead, his wife, she wants a job. She wants to act. She wants to be in his shows. But part of the issue is women were not allowed to act. Uh, so part of the subplots of the show of Something Rotten is that Beatrice is just running off dressed as men, taking different jobs and trying to fool her husband. Um, And we have one character in the show, actually it's an actor, and he's playing the character in a skirt the whole time. And he plays when things kind of start going south uh, for for the characters in the end. Um, He plays the queen um, of the play. So he'll be in complete dress, wig and makeup. Um, it sounds very comedic, very tongue in cheek, very fun. Um, I know it got a bit of a a late start, I think COVID stuff, but, uh, it's good to go this weekend. So how can people get tickets? I know it's also, there's also a streaming option as well, right? Yep. Um, so if you go to ToledoRep.org, um, I think like right on the front page, you should see either buy tickets or you should see, um, the current production will say something rotten and you can purchase the tickets right there. I know. So our opening weekend is now this weekend and we have less than 50 seats available for opening night. Uh, so it's really starting to ramp up uh, for ticket sales. Um, but then, yeah, there's also a streaming option. Um, so there will be a live stream every night or for every show. Uh, is this the first indoor show back at the rep since since you know what um so there were a couple of smaller shows uh but this is the first with you know full cast full there's a new pit orchestra they Mm -hmm. took out two rows of seats at the rep and they've added a little pit um which is really exciting uh because previously the pit was up in a loft and now they will actually be on ground level and you can fit more people um and they've redone some of the stage too so yeah first one back really exciting yeah i know they're doing stuff over the summertime at the amphitheater at the ottawa uh, park amphitheater Mm but i'm sure people are happy to have their performance and theater season back i know stranahan is doing stuff as well um i probably asked you this either when you've visited the uh the old morning show before or um i just asked you on the side so how does this like you have to audition for these roles right Mm -hmm. um do you do you get paid i do not get paid no this is completely volunteer 
Um, I know I've shared with you, it sometimes feels like a second job, but it's completely volunteer and I love it. Uh, currently, Toledo does not have a professional theater of their own. Um, so, you know, you have the Stranahan and the Valentine, but those bring productions in. Right. Um, currently, Toledo doesn't have its own professional so, production company. I know you said your ensemble, Neil, is as well. So, like, even Jared doesn't get paid? I don't believe Jared gets wow. paid. <laughs> I know. Um, so, I mean, this takes a lot of time. This has to be several hours a, a night um, to rehearse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we started rehearsing after, well, I didn't, I was on vacation, but everybody else started the week after 4th of July. So, and we auditioned for this in June. So this has been a two month process, um, between three to five rehearsals a week. Uh, recently it's been five rehearsals a week of about three hours a night. So it's, it's a lot of, you know, work and time and effort, and it's not just us. We have an amazing uh, um, set designer. We have costumes. There's the music. There are all these elements, lighting and sound, um, the film now with um, filming for the live stream. There are so many pieces that go into this, and I, I think it just really shows what a commitment and how much theater is loved in this area. Um, so, and, and every, all those people that you just ran down, they all volunteer and donate their time? I believe so. Awesome. Um, so, I mean, obviously you do it because you love it. So how do you view it as like a, a passion, a hobby, self-care? How do you, how do you view it? Because again, that's, a, that's a lot of time, 15 some hours a week. Um, so I grew up either watching, you know, musicals not just Disney stuff, but like watching Sound of Music or My Fair Lady, Oklahoma as a kid. And it's just such a passion for me. Um, like I love my real job, the one I do 40 hours a week, but the, this is like my fun side thing. Um, right. And I get to meet so many new people. So that's yeah. really fun. I mean, there, there are far more self-destructive hobbies like drinking and who knows what else, like CrossFit that you could be ruining your life with rather than being on the stage and performing and meeting friends. Exactly. I was, that was a CrossFit <laughs> joke. Leave me alone. Um, all right, good. Well, I hope um, it sounds like uh, very few seats are left. Well, uh, the performance run through next weekend as well, right? Yep. Okay. So it's this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So the 17th, 18th, and 19th. Uh, the 17th and 18th uh, showtime. Let me make sure I get this right. Is... I know, I know. Not you, but, not you, uh, everybody else. <laughs> 8 o'clock, um, and then the oops, uh, Sunday show is at 2.30. So, yes, this Friday through Sunday. And then next week, it's Thursday the 23rd through the 25th at 8 o'clock. And the 26th is our final performance at 2.30. Uh, they serve food, food at the rep, right? Well, yes, but not now. Okay. Uh, due to COVID, uh, they really want to take this seriously. Um, so we on stage will not be masked. Um, once we get off the stage, um, we will be putting our masks back on. So when we're backstage, the entire time we'll be masked. But on stage, we will be unmasked. But we are asking our audience kind of as a trade like please remain masked the whole time so no concessions no outside food and drink got it um okay good we, we we put a bow on that what else is going on what else do you want to talk about what else is on your mind oh 
I don't know. Did you watch What If today yet? Do you watch that I show? I did. I watched it over my lunch break. Really? Good for you. I try to save. I've been late with those recently, but I'm going to watch it tonight. Um, what do you think of it so far? Um, I know it's all going to cultivate in something bigger, like mm-hmm. a larger team up episode. I just feel like most of the episodes have unfortunately felt unfinished. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I may, So I feel differently as well. Like, I too know that this is building into something and there's lots of foreshadowing and I'm going to feel like an idiot with Spider-Man or Doctor Strange and I'm going to go re- re-watch What If, but maybe because it's animated, maybe because it's so short, maybe because they're all unto themselves, I can't get as engaged or watchful as I've been with the other three shows. Is, mm-hmm. that, is that what you're going through? A little bit. I just, I, I would like a solid finale finish, I guess. Um, what was last week? Oh, it was zombies. Zombie one, yeah. Yeah, and it, you know, the, the cliffhanger that it just ended on, it's like, no, that's <laughs> not how, I need more. I need to know what happened next. Um, I thought the Doctor Strange one ended pretty, I mean, it was a downer, but it I really very liked sad. it. it yeah. Yeah, and if, um, I, if I had to pick with all the foreshadowing happening, um, like I could totally see Captain Carter showing up in a live movie and that would be great. But if I had to pick one moment to extract from all the what if so far, and I haven't watched today, that that impacts the larger MCU, it's that Doctor Strange tried to keep, spoiler, tried to keep <laughs> Christine alive. And what did they call that moment? I don't remember. That like, was like... Two weeks ago. Yeah, I know. I know. And in Marvel time, that's like five. You know how much news has come out since, I know. since then? Uh, but yeah, like I feel like him messing with that and trying to keep her alive and going through all the channels that he did to pull, try to pull that off. I feel like that is going to be a big fracture that involves the larger MC, MCU. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really curious. I mean, I know why this fell after Loki, just due to what happened at the end of Loki. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am curious to see if any of this, like you said, Captain Carter probably could show up in a live action film or a TV show. So I'm curious to see, you know, what happens next. And it's been interesting for me, at least, and you probably as well, to hear the familiar voices. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing no Chris Evans because it was a contract thing. And I don't think Scarlett Johansson was there as well, but Mm-mm. there was someone that oh, sounded no. like her. But it's been it's been comforting to hear familiar voices. Um, it's been really comforting with Chadwick Boseman. Oh, that um, that's that was, been that was haunting and eerie. Mm-hmm. But then we know these things were were recorded, you know, long before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Even when um they are, I mean, I, I believe in the whole multiverse thing, and I get it. And there's probably a a million versions of me and a million versions of you. And one where you're. You're Nick Bottom or Nicola Bottom. <laughs> but I like that we get to hear some of our favorite lines from the movies we've all seen so many times. Yeah. So, um, what else have you been watching or looking forward to watching? Um, what else have I... I've been watching the uh, Only Murders in the Building with Steve Martin and uh, Selena Gomez. And, oh no, I'm blanking on his name. What's that on? Uh, Hulu. Okay. Um, oh no. Now I feel terrible that I've forgotten. No, I, I can terrible. see him. We forget um, things all the time here. <laughs> so it's Martin Short. 
Um, so it's three people. They live in an apartment building in New York City. A murder happens in their building, and they decide to start a podcast about it, and Ooh, they try to solve it. That's funny. So I've been enjoying that, and that just got renewed for a second season. My suggestion would be is add another uh, female millennial, and that'll definitely help you solve that murder. <laughs> Nobody solves murders like white girls on podcasts. Oh, absolutely not. What is there anything you're looking forward to watching or seeing or you saw I think I saw today that Disney is putting all their like nothing streaming, it's all going into theaters, which is a bold yes. statement. As you might know with what information you're privy to, like that's a bold statement because things can go sideways real fast. Yeah. I hope that works out. I know, you know. Shang-Chi is doing really well, really, really well, um, given that it's being released in a pandemic. And unfortunately, I don't think the strategy with Scarlett Johansson, um, given how that's playing out, I don't think Disney wants to repeat that. And I'm sure since Angelina Jolie's in The Eternals, I feel like they did not want to tick off her. So I can... I'm guessing that might be why they just decided to push everything in yeah. theaters. And they they can just say that, and then like if the world goes to shit, they can they can always change. Um, mm-hmm. This this Scarlett Johansson. So I had forgotten or overlooked that she was pregnant because I there was um, what's what's the Stranger Thing guy's name? David. Oh, David Harbour. David Harbour. Like, he did a ton of press. Like, I was talking to my mm-hmm. friend, I was like, where's she at? She did a couple of things, but he was everywhere. And I guess because she was pregnant, so she couldn't do as much press. Um, and that might have played into some of it, the streaming part as well. But I also don't think it was a very good movie. It would have been better if it came out after Civil War. Yeah. Like, it, it's... the. The entire string of movies, for the most part, is us looking, is moving things forward. And even if something is happening in the past, it's in the recent past, and it's just bringing that up to speed. Like, this just felt like it was a a, a tangent and unimportant to the larger universe, which, until the final scene, it really was. Mm -hmm. And it was only, like, an okay movie, like... I mean, at least as far as Marvel was was concerned, I mean, it wasn't bad by any means, but not my not not in my top ten, not even close to Marvel movies. No, and unfortunately, I had the same problem. I think with Shang Chi, like the, I loved the first two acts of the film, both films, both mm-hmm. Black Widow and Shang Chi, but then the third act for both just kind of lost me. Like Black Widow, I could have done without the like falling from the sky antics. Right. Um, that just Felt like it was in the wrong film. What didn't you um, What didn't you like about the the uh, the end scene, the end act of Shang Chi? Um, again, I don't know if the magic worked for me. Like, I liked the kung fu aspects more. Right. It was. Uh, it was it, to me. It was. I forget who the director was. Destin something, I think. But it, it felt like they were trying to recapture what happened at the end in Endgame. Like, mm-hmm. and you're never going to do that again. But they wanted to do something on that level, but to a smaller degree. And I appreciated it for that. Like, there was a lot. Like, there are two people riding a dragon right now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, that's a lot to pull off. So I appreciated the effort, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, but I'm I'm looking forward to seeing um, the actors 
more like I thought actor chemistry was great. I oh, thought everybody absolutely. looked like they were having a great time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought that as well. Like it was so well written and I was like a lot of people probably a little leery of Aquafina, but she's the new or the second Darcy and mm-hmm. her comedic timing was right on and, I, and you're right the chemistry between all the entire cast was was totally important including the iciness between him and his sister like it was so well done oh i bought it i completely bought the world that they lived in i yep. bought all of that so that was good and yeah with aquafina so i watched raya and the last dragon so that was a disney film that came mm-hmm. out it was kind of the whole we're going to release it on disney plus but I waited because I didn't want to pay $30. Right. Um, but I finally watched that a couple weeks ago, and I enjoyed Aquafina so much more in Shang-Chi than I did in Oriya. Yeah, I went in with a negative vibe, but she won me over really fast. Uh, I mm-hmm. mean, just her, her timing and the lines that they gave her were were just really great. It was, a, it was a really enjoyable movie. Probably, let's see. I mean, probably the most enjoyable movie I've seen in the theaters since... You know what, and you know that's that's why we go to Marvel movies because we know that they're gonna, for the most part, meet our expectations. I think this has been the second film actually I've gone to theaters for. I think Black Widow was the first one, and then Shang Chi was the second. So I yeah, I'm excited uh, for Eternals. Yeah, that me looks too. weird and lovely. Um, I've been going to the theaters. I I was on a streak of like three weeks in a row, and I do want to go see Candyman still. Um, that was good. I, as I've told people, I'm like, the theater, as long as people do what they should as they would in a movie and keep their mouth shut, like, it's probably one of the safer places, especially if you go on an off time, like outside of Friday or Saturday night. When we went to Shang-Chi, there wasn't 20 people in the theater. Yeah, I saw a 12 o'clock matinee of that one on a Saturday. How many so people it was pretty, were there? Um, well, it was probably the smallest theater at Fallen Timbers. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say maybe... There might have been 40 people there, actually. Still a small crowd. Still a small crowd, yeah. Um, all right, well, thank you for the time. Do I do I t- I, I do tell you to break a leg with something rotten, right? Yes, break okay. a leg, and yeah, that's through the rep this weekend and next weekend. And then you mentioned the Crosswell. That's in October. That's when they're doing theirs. Okay. And um, we're all supporting each other. We're seeing their show. They're seeing ours. The tight community. Um, mm-hmm. And Jared having facial hair is a thing, is, is, is a weird thing for people, I suppose. <laughs> he rocks it. He rocks it. But I mean, he doesn't usually have facial hair, and now he does for the for the role, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for Shakespeare. Uh, got it, got it, got it. Okay, awesome. Well, I'm sorry they couldn't be on. Screw you, Neil. <laughs> um, and thanks for the time, and I will talk to you probably within a few hours about something else. Okay. All right, thanks, Liz. Yep, thanks, Eric. Bye. Bye.